Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Arielle Garten. She is a former psychotherapist, a neuroscientist, and one of the co-founders of Muse, which is a brain-sensing headband that can give you feedback as you are meditating. So as you can guess, in this conversation, we're going to start at the very basic beginnings of what is meditation? What is it good for? Why does it work? What happens in your brain when you meditate? The benefits of meditation? How to get over some of the hurdles of if you've tried meditation but have fallen off and on again, or if you've never tried it, how to get started in a simple, easy, guilt-free, no-pressure way. And we also talk a bit about what the muse can do to bring to the table in terms of all of those topics. So even if you're not interested in meditation or haven't given it much thought before, I'm hoping this conversation will inform you a bit in areas that maybe you've never been aware of when it comes to to meditation and mindfulness. And even if you are consistently practicing meditation, I know there's also going to be something in this conversation for you as well. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Ariel Garten. Well, this week it is my privilege to welcome to the show Ariel Garden. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am uh, totally honored to be here. Ultimately, I-, I knew of Muse for a while. I was telling you this pre-recording. I- I've known about Muse for a while. Obviously, people know that meditation is an important thing. But I think a lot of people, (laughs) they may have preconceived notions having tried it or other notions of what meditation is having tried it and (laughs) and even third, uh, you know, preconceived notions, uh, whether they've tried it or not by hearing other people talk about it. But we'll try not to be just those people that talk about it. Let's actually talk about like what meditation is first and foremost. And then second, we'll talk about Muse. But before all that, actually... Let's talk about how did you, you've got all these different credentials. How did you end up 
in this space specifically by, by producing and creating a, a wearable that helps with meditation? Sure. So those are lots of big weighty questions to answer the how I got here question. um, I think I would say of somebody who is always interested in how the world works. I have a background in science. Even as a high school student, I had a position at a research lab doing embryonic stem cell research. Like I was fascinated with how the world worked. And then I became fascinated with how the brain and the mind worked and how they created the experience of life that we have. Why is it that when you look, you see the way that you do? Why does a table feel hard? And so I went on to study neuroscience. Um, At the same time, I also love to make things. My mom was an artist. I love to create stuff um, and create experiences that allowed people to see the world and feel the world in different ways, because that's really what art does. Art gives you a new way of seeing. And the two of those really combined in the creation of Muse along the way. I was a psychotherapist. So, you know, was teaching people to meditate within my psychotherapy practice. And myself was a terrible meditator. (laughs) I was somebody who, you know, had a lot of ideas, was always thinking was always curious about stuff. And the idea of having my mind go quiet intentionally seemed crazy to me, even though I'd be teaching my patients to do it for anxiety and depression and and uh, the negative self-talk and the, the stories that were pulling them down. It was something that I had a hard time doing myself. And so when I began working uh, in one research lab with uh, early brain computer interface technology, myself and the people who became my co-founders, Chris Amini and Trevor Coleman, we looked at this technology and we said, you know, what is what is the best thing we can do with a brain computer interface, a device that literally shows you or lets you hear what's going on with your brain waves, you know, gives you an insight into your brain. And from there, we realized that if we could help more people meditate, if we could solve for them that question of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Why do you meditate? What's what's going on in your mind during meditation? How do you do it right? Then we could probably get at the very least ourselves meditating, which I was successful at, and then more people in the world meditating, which we have since been extremely successful at. And that's how Muse was born. Very, very cool. I, I Thinking back, I believe the first time I ever heard about Muse was through Pat Flynn. I'm not sure if you are aware of who he is. He's, he was definitely a proponent of Muse early on. For me, we've talked about meditation here and there on the show. Nothing, nothing too much of a deep dive. I, I wonder if, uh, because of your background, you know the definite benefits. I, I wonder if you could give maybe a definition to meditation and, and just the, the very bare bones basics. Because a lot of people they, they hear that meditation word and they think I'm sitting cross-legged on a pillow saying nothing and thinking nothing, which that's not true. But also others that are saying, well, it's this some sort of spiritual practice or prayer, which it also doesn't have to be. What, what is your definition? Sure. The definition of meditation that I use is a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. So it doesn't mean that you're sitting on a pillow. It doesn't mean that it's a spiritual thing. It doesn't mean it's weird and woo-woo. It is simply a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. There are many different forms of meditation. And the most common form that people do first is focused attention meditation. And when you think about somebody meditating, this is probably the meditation they're doing. In a focused attention meditation, what you do is you bring your attention to your breath or something that's neutral. And then when your mind wanders away from your breath and into a thought, it's your job to notice that your mind has wandered and then to bring your attention back to your breath. 
So you're not sitting there with your mind going blank, doing absolutely nothing. You're actually sitting there in a state of focused attention on an object in the here and now, in the present moment, that is neutral. And then as soon as you go into thoughts, it's your job to notice, oh, there's my mind thinking again, and to choose instead of following those thoughts to bring your attention back to the thing that is neutral, your breath. And that is a basic focused attention practice. And most people hear that and they're just like, oh, because you expect that somebody's just sitting there with their mind going blank. And that's actually not what you're doing. Frankly, our minds don't go blank. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> just as likely that we're going to levitate as your mind going blank. What you're actually doing is you're training your attention and learning to observe your mind and your body and changing your relationship to your thinking. I can't help but think that the anti-attention training is just opening up constantly our smartphones and scrolling. Totally. That is something else hijacking your attention. That is you absolutely not in control. And that's also you being mind mindless. So another word that people hear associated with meditation is mindfulness. So mindfulness is defined as the present moment, non-judgmental, moment-by-moment experience of your thoughts, feelings, sensations, and environment, and doing it intentionally. So when you're mindful, you are aware of what's going on either around you or in you in that moment. And when you're being mindless, like scrolling on your phone, you are lost in another world. You're doing activities that don't have intention. You're you know, feeding yourself with a bunch of content and you don't necessarily know why. And so the practice of meditation, putting your attention on your breath in the present moment, trains us in the skill of mindfulness being mindfully aware of our thoughts, feelings, actions, which then allows us to make much better choices about how we exist in the world and to make better choices about how we use our minds, our bodies, and this moment of life. You said that we don't ever stop thinking and that that is not the the end goal of meditation is to get to a place of stopping thinking. It's this, I, I liken it to almost doing, you know, reps of Bar, you know, a, a, a light barbell or something where it's you, you raise it and then you lower it and then you raise it and you lower it. And that, that's the metaphor, at least that I've that I've used in my practice. And actually, it kind of feels that way when you're done, in a sense, in, in, a, in a different physical sense or in a mental sense, even an emotional sense. Um, when I've used Muse and I've done meditation with it, I get this sense of, you know, after doing a 10 or 15 minute time frame that there's almost... I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, but it's it's almost like that endorphin rush, but also with like a peacefulness, if if that makes sense. Yeah. And the analogy uses quite correct. I, I often say the same thing, like the act of putting your attention on something, noticing that your mind is wandered and choosing to return your attention. That is the bench press rep at the gym for your attention. You are literally training the muscle of your attention in your mind. And when you do that, you're also training an organ inside your head, your prefrontal cortex. So your prefrontal cortex is responsible for your attentional control and also your higher order processing and something called metacognition, your ability to rise above a scenario and see outside of it. It's also responsible for down-regulating your fight or flight response. And when we practice this 
focused attention, notice your thoughts wandering, return back to your breath, um, you're literally strengthening your prefrontal cortex. You are strengthening the muscle of your attention. And in studies, one study by Dr. Sarah Lazar at Harvard, she demonstrated that as you age, your prefrontal cortex thins, just akin to a muscle. Um, but people with a long-term meditation practice are able to maintain the thickness of the prefrontal cortex even as they age. You're literally working it out. That's great. So it's it's literally working out your brain yes. as a muscle. <laughs> not that there's muscle fibers inside your brain. Right. You know, your brains are composed of neurons, not muscle fibers. So, so non-literally. Um, I, I, I misspoke. <laughs> you are figuratively, uh, figuratively and specifically. Yes. Yes. I, I think one of the other things that's key here, you know, in past times pr- prior to Muse and even using the Muse that I myself have experienced as well as others in terms of a roadblock to meditation, if, if they've tried it and felt like I can't do this, is they will, one, feel like, again, I'm having too many thoughts and they don't know what to do with that. They don't understand the concept of, no, you're supposed to allow the thought to happen and then observe it, acknowledge it, but then bring your attention back as one of the key roadblocks, they don't understand that process at all. And I didn't, I'm, I'm confessing, I did not for a very long time understand that part of it. But the other part of it was when I would observe my thoughts and, you know, have an awareness of them and noticed my quote wandering mind, I was not happy with the thoughts that I was having. Right. And, and it's that, mm-hmm. then that next you know, progression of it's not just the noticing of the thoughts and bringing the attention back, but it's the having a non judgment of those thoughts and that those thoughts may not, that the thoughts aren't you and those thoughts may not even be true. Yeah. It's a podcast. You can't see me nodding, but I've been nodding the whole time. <laughs> um, absolutely. So to kind of dig further into the first thought that you had, most people, when they meditate and they have a bunch of thoughts, they get frustrated and they go, Oh no, like I'm just bad at meditating. The truth of the fact is everybody's quote unquote bad at meditating. It's okay to suck at meditating. It means you're human. We have thoughts. That's okay. And the goal is not to get rid of the thoughts. The goal is to, if there is a goal, is to change the relationship to them so that you can now be an observer of your thoughts to know that thoughts are happening but not get sucked into them. So you're taking yourself out of the thought stream. It's like if your thoughts are a river, you can be floating along in the river and not even notice that you're in water, or you can get out onto the bank and then see them going. And once you do that, you have very much the experience that you described, which is the recognition that you are not your thoughts. And so many of us get caught up in having thoughts that are stressful and repetitive and not particularly helpful and, and not helping us like, oh, I'm not good enough. And, you know, I'm, I did this thing badly at work. It's going to be terrible and, 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 and. And when we are inside of those thoughts, they tend to just perpetuate. They feel like our entire world and then they make more thoughts that are similar to them. And it's very difficult to see outside of it. When you're able to get out of the river, when you're able to observe your thoughts, you can see that thought go by and you have a greater opportunity to say, there is a thought that may or may not be true. It is what my brain is thinking. It doesn't mean that's actually what's happening. It doesn't mean that's who I am. It doesn't mean it's the truth. It's just a thought my brain is having. And when you do that, it becomes extraordinarily liberating. You don't have to live in all of the garbage that's inside your head. You can have a choice about the contents of your own mind. You can see what's there. You can accept what's there and then you can move on. 
You can choose which thoughts to dive into and which thoughts to simply let go by like clouds because they likely are not true, not helpful and not serving you. And it gives you not only an entirely new perspective on the world, but an entirely new perspective on yourself. Yes. One of the things that I tried to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right word, I don't know, hack meditation without doing meditation (laughs) uh, for a long time was doing something that I would prescribe to everybody, including myself, was I'd go to a coffee shop when we could do that very easily. I'll do it at home now, but I'll I'll get a pad of paper out and an analog writing utensil. And I would do something called a brain dump and just try to be present and, and almost, you know, without bringing my breath back or my attention back to my breath, just be in that moment and just see what would come up or or consciously try to force the thoughts to come up. In other words, I've been stressed, what all is stressing me out, and just kind of write those things down as they would come up. And I'm curious, is that something that's beneficial maybe to do as a kind of precursor to then doing a meditation session? And or what if what do I do with those thoughts if they come up while I'm meditating, like in other words, I'm tr- I'm supposed to I'm quote supposed to be meditating right now, and I keep having this thought come back, and then I let it go and I bring my attention back. But once the meditation session's over, like is it in other words, is it okay for me to capture things like write it down and then push it aside again, or like what's your thought process on this? Sure, great question. So. First of all, there's lots of different forms of meditation and lots of different ways to, to quote unquote, do meditation or achieve the ends. Writing and journaling is something that's incredibly good for your mental health. And it gives you, in some ways, a similar experience to meditation in that you are doing a focused task, you're in the present moment, and you are having the chance to catalog or observe your thinking. If you get caught up in those thoughts and begin to ruminate about them, you are no longer meditating. But if you're in the act of doing this, it can be considered a form of meditation, the the writing out of your thoughts. When you are in a meditation, if you have a thought that habitually returns to you, that's interesting. So what we learn in meditation is we learn about ourselves and we learn about how we act and react. And then we're able to take that information and use it in helpful ways. So if you're sitting there meditating and you have a thought of, you know, um, oh, no, my mother is a bad person how do you react to that? Or I'm a bad person. Let's say you're sitting there and you have this thought that comes up, I am a bad person. How do you react to that? Do you look at it with curiosity? Do you respond to yourself with love? Do you berate yourself? Do you believe it's true? Do you hold yourself away from it? You know, what, how do you respond? That gives you very interesting and meaningful information about yourself and how you generally see the world and respond and react. Um, Most thoughts do return over and over again if they are charged and sticky ones like that. And so during the process of a formal meditation, you might sit there, focus your attention on the breath, and this thought just keeps coming. And like your work is just, you know, being with your relationship to this thought and letting this thought go and letting it not get to you. And that's really hard. And you'll do it over a hundred times. And like you're you're getting a really great workout doing that. You're learning a lot about how to shift your relationship with your with the world and your thoughts. After a meditation practice, you may want to sit there and spend a lot of time with that thought and unearth it and get to the bottom of it and say, you know, what are the experiences I had in childhood that might have created this thought? Um, What, how does this drive my belief about myself? How does this change the way I interact with people? If this thought wasn't true, how would I act? If this thought was true, how would I act or who would I be? You know, it's 
perfectly appropriate to when these thoughts come up, if you want to write them down, some people do that during meditation, totally allowed if that lets you move on from it because your body's like, your, your mind is like, yes, he's heard it. Great. The message has been delivered. We can stop knocking at the door because thoughts are kind of like that. There, there's something knocking at your door. There's a part of you that feels you need to hear this over and over again when often you don't. Um, but there's a part of you that feels you do. So, you know, there's this organ inside of our head called the amygdala and its job is to look out for danger. And often that danger is information that it feels you should know. And maybe what it feels you should know is you're not a good person or maybe you left the stove on. You know, that's why it's so nagging when you're like, did I leave the stove on? Because the thought just won't leave you alone because it's constantly coming back and saying potential danger, potential danger, potential danger. And in the case of the stove, it's a really useful thing for your brain to be reminding you over and over again. In the case when you're stuck in traffic and it tells you every 30 seconds that you're going to be late and there's nothing you can do about it, it's really not helpful. (laughs) You know, like think about this system. It's it's one job is to warn you of potential danger. And so you're sitting there in traffic and the potential danger is that you're going to be late and it might make somebody else mad or you might get in trouble in some way. And even though there's nothing you can do about it, it is just constantly presenting this potential danger. You might be late. You might be late. It might go terrible. It might go awful. And it's just doing its job, but its job really doesn't serve you in that moment. It's really not helpful. It's really not useful. And that's why a practice like meditation allows us to kind of rise above our basic neurobiology, (laughs) allows us to like gain some insight into how our brains and minds work and no longer be driven by these very, you know, base drives and reactions that are just trying to do their job in ways that don't serve us in our everyday life. I I can't help but picture that somebody who has more attention training, they're, they're the person that, you know, I, I kept thinking of um, the thoughts being flies. Like I'm sitting mm-hmm. there with my eyes closed and the fly just keeps showing up. And, in, and if I'm unpracticed, then I'm going to be swatting at it with my hands, just trying to get it to go away. Whereas somebody who's more practiced and has more experience knows that fly is going to fly away on its own. I am going to turn my attention back to what I had it on previously. Oh my God, that's such a perfect analogy. Yes, and that fly is harmless. Mm. You know, we are programmed to believe that because there's something buzzing around our head and coming towards us, that it is threatening, it's looming towards us, and therefore we need to react or respond. But the fly is totally harmless, completely harmless. Yet it consumes so much of our attention as we fight with it. And one of the things that we learn in meditation is what we resist persists. So, you know, these problematic thoughts, these problematic flies, we just want to keep swatting at them because we feel like we're supposed to, you know, we get into battle with it. And as we do that, it just flies around trying to evade you and you end up in a fight with it. Um, this, you could see the parallel in many of our relationships in our lives, I'm sure. You choose it as problematic and therefore you create problems by continually going up against it. But if you would simply relax into the moment Simply recognize that this thing that you think is harmful actually really isn't, um, that it can come and it can go and, and the world will still be there and so will you, then you can allow it to exit from your life actually quite peacefully. And so if we can recognize the way that we're drawn into these things and our basic habits and instincts to swat at the flies and say, actually, I don't need to do that. Take a big breath, calm down and let go of our resistance to things outside of our control. Life goes so much smoother. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drilling down a little bit into the productivity side of the benefits of meditation, one of the things that I took from my time uh, working with the Muse device that I found suddenly, I mean, it it just appeared out of nowhere. I I will typically have, or I'm trying to at least, have a large (laughs) container of water here at my desk. And what I found was when, when I was trying to or should be focusing on a specific task uh, for a while, trying to you know drill down and get that thing done, that when I would get a distracted feeling, in other words, I would realize that my thoughts aren't on what I intended to put them on, yeah. that I would allow myself to turn slightly, slightly in my chair, pick up my water and take a sip, and then put it back down and then turn back to the task at hand instead of that distracted thought. And that that was almost another way of practicing. That is awesome. So you, you're doing a thought interrupt with it. Yes. That's super great. So let's dive into meditation productivity because it's huge. So how Muse works is it tracks your brain while you're meditating and it gives you real-time feedback to know when you're in focused attention and when your mind is wandering. So when you're in focused attention, you actually hear it as quieter. And as your mind wanders off into a thought, you hear the wind or the rain pick up. So that wind or rain becomes your cue for distracting thought. And then you very quickly learn to notice, oh, I'm distracted. And then you bring your attention back to your breath. Now, this exercise that you learn with Muse translates incredibly well to doing work because paying attention to your breath, noticing when your mind is wandering and then choosing to return to your breath is uh, very, very close to paying attention to your work, noticing when your mind is wandering and then choosing to let that go and come back to your work. And actually, one of the very first things that I noticed after I started using Muse, uh, you know, getting my meditation practice going six or seven years ago when we were first building it, was that my productivity went through the roof. Because we worked in an open office, I was so used to every little distraction just taking me into the distraction. And I hadn't built the capability or the skill to know, oh, I'm being distracted. I can make a different choice. And so what you learn in your meditation practice is to, one, notice that you're distracted because most of us don't. We're, you know, thinking about Facebook or we're thinking about donuts or whatever it is. And then once you notice that, make a choice to come back to your work. And what Muse is doing in the focused attention meditation practice is literally training you on that. It's literally teaching you, 
mind is distracted. It's cueing you. So, you know, like within half a second that, oh, you're in a distraction and you immediately make the choice to come back to work. So each and every one of those distractions are like little micro procrastinations every time your brain wanders off into something else. So it's training you to observe every micro procrastination, let go of it, and then be rewarded for being back in the focused attention state back to your work. One of the other things that I've found in terms of productivity and the, and the training, and I had heard this before and I had tried it before. It was, again, one of those little, I'm going to. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to get the benefits of meditation without actually meditating was <laughs> to have again that pad here. I described the, the brain dump, but it was to do a micro brain dump. Like I would have the pad there, but I would have it out of reach. And so then if a thought came up while I was doing something focused, I would allow myself to bring the pad over. I wouldn't use a phone because again, that's worse, but I would write down two, three, four words about what that thought was and then slide it away. And it's like you said, it was like, it's almost like closing that loop. Okay, brain, I hear you. It's, it's captured for later for a more appropriate time. You know, in other words, that, that, that thought that I had then just captured on that pad of paper would now not be in the loop coming up as a possible distraction during the duration of the rest of that focused time. Yeah, that's a great technique. As you progress, you'll find more ways to work with your thoughts where you won't even need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a great bridge tool. And if it works for you, awesome. Yeah. I, I, I'm also curious, though. I know that it's, it's slightly related and in some ways not related. Um, the flow state where you get into a, a state of you know, being more creative and more productive, but it's not exactly the same thing. What what would you say are the the similarities and differences with that? Sure. Flow is the best state in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so flow is not the same as meditation. Um, it's not the same from a neural perspective either, but there are a lot of correlates to it. So flow is a state in which you are fully engaged in an activity. It's a highly creative state. It's a highly mentally generative state. Um, So you're coming up with lots of ideas and it tends to happen when we are working on something that we are fully engaged in, where we are working at a very high challenge level, but just a little bit less than something that would be hindering ourselves. So it's enough of a challenge that you have your adrenaline up, that it's keeping you motivated, that you're curious to solve whatever it is, but it's not so hard that it becomes aversive or you feel like I can't do this and you pull away. And, uh, you know, flow is a brilliant groove to get in. And most of us have been in flow and probably didn't notice it. It's when you're could be when you're working on something that you're really passionate about and just time seems to stand still. It could be when you are doing a sport that you're fully engaged in. It could be when you're on the dance floor. You, there can be group flow. You're really just engaged in the moment. The similarities to mindfulness are the fully full absorption in the activity. So you are fully in whatever you're doing. Though typically in flow, um, if it's a creative flow, so if it's a sports flow, you're probably not in your head. You're just in your body. If it is a creative flow, you likely are very in your head, generating the ideas and generating the, the thoughts that are producing the creative work, um, the writing, whatever it is. So in those ways, it is dissimilar to meditation, but the two are linked. And actually, meditation can be a great entry point for flow because when your mind is scattered and all over the place, it's very difficult to enter flow. You need to enter flow from a place of uh, both sort of, you know, inspiration and stimulation, but also a place of 
focus and quiet. So I actually know a lot of people that use the Muse specifically or use meditation in general as the beginning access point to their flow. So you're quieting all the other thoughts, then you engage in a creative activity that opens up the gateways of flow for you. And it could be music, it could be, you know, a creative project, whatever it is that is your way to enter flow. That's what I was uh, uh, trying to figure out how to articulate that I was experiencing. Uh, I will say this, that I would try to use Muse in the morning, usually after everybody had left for the house, you know, left the house for the day and I was the only one home for obvious reasons, less, less possible distraction. And so then I could focus and do my Muse time. But I found that as I did Muse time, the more I did it in the morning, the more often I was able to then get into some sort of flow state later in the day, whether it was, you know, within that next hour, hour and a half or so, or maybe early afternoon or something like that. But it it was, and again, part of this is like we talked about the working out of the brain, uh, the training of the brain. And the other thing that made me think of this was make it made me think of flow state was just the, I don't think we've described we, we've described it a little bit, but the the experience of using Muse is that it's the device itself working with your smartphone, and then headphones, so that you can audibly hear the brain feedback. And there's a couple different versions. Like I I tried out. I actually kind of like. I live in the country, sort of small town. Um, and with the pandemic, I was like, well, I'm, I've been missing <laughs> getting into a big city and hearing the hustle and, you know, the, the, the cars and all that kind of stuff. So I would use that cityscape one. But what I found was that as I was sitting there and the cityscape would die away and it would get really quiet, it would feel almost, I don't know, like to, to be geeky, it almost felt like Jedi mind trick kind of stuff, <laughs> you know? And to get to that point where I was actually feeling the longer term, you know, aside from the um, the birds, which would signify that um, I had brought my attention back, it it felt like I'm trying to figure out the, the best way to, to to describe this, but it felt like actually pushing the noise of the city away, but not force. But but the the way that it would work is not by doing it forcefully, but by doing it passively is not the right word. Maybe you have a better word to describe it. Allowing. Yeah. And, and by doing that, you'd, you'd get, then get to the end of a session and you'd feel, I, I, again, like I go back to what I was saying earlier. It felt like I just had a really good workout in the way that having a good workout feels not in the, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired from working out, but in the, Oh my gosh, that was a really good workout kind of a feeling. Yeah. So, so what you're describing for everybody who doesn't know, Muse has a number <laughs> of different soundscapes. Um, so you can be in a rainforest, in a city park. And when the sound gets louder, that's when your mind is wandering. And when you allow your mind to settle, when you come back to your focused attention, that's when the sound quiets. So one of the soundscapes is a city park, which some people really like. Um, and you hear the noise of the city around you. And as you're able to come to quiet, focused attention, the sound quiets and what you're left with is the bird. And the tweeting of the bird means that you've been in your focused attention state. And so it that functions in many ways. One way is as a reward to your brain. Our brains are operant conditioning learning machines. Um, and so when your brain gets a reward for, I am in focused attention, your brain likes that and it comes back to the focused attention state more often. So it really trains you to stay there very very intentionally. And another thing that the bird does is it becomes this subtle lesson in rewards. 
So part of the thing about meditation is that it's not necessarily goal directed. And with Muse, we have a motivational architecture that's built to like help you meditate every day and get points and scores and show you graphs of your brain so that you actually come back and do it. And some people can be like, well, isn't that kind of antithetical to meditation? And that's where the birds come in. So the first time you get a bird, you're like, oh, there was a sound of birds. That's nice. As soon as you know that the birds are the quote unquote reward for staying in your focused attention, you now try to get the birds. And when you get a bird, you get really excited. But if you get really excited, you lose the state and the bird flies away. (laughs) So it becomes this really beautiful, subtle way to undermine this goal structure that we've created and to teach one of the most fundamental lessons of meditation, which is equanimity, the acceptance of what is. So you have to both not get frustrated by the noise and not get too engaged and hungry for your reward. And when you're simply able to be in this state, that is when the rewards come. Yeah, that was the other thing is I when I switched to the, I don't, I, I don't know what the proper name is. I can't think of it, but the storm uh, audible cue where uh, the weather gets really loud. Um, I couldn't help but think like when my mind would wander and the storm around me in my ears got really loud. That was the moment where it was almost a distraction audibly presenting itself to where I had to become aware of it and then say, and then acknowledge it and, and, or, uh, what was the word equanimity that you used? Is yeah. that, yeah. So that, that I acknowledge that the storm is. Yes. And once I had done that, even somewhat instantaneously and it come there's waves of it where there's you know it gets louder and quieter and softer and louder and as i'm trying to figure out okay how how much of an allowing am i doing here with this storm but then it would eventually start to die down again and then i'd hear a bird and so it, it's an it's an amazing kind of an experience i i was talking with somebody a while ago and talking about this um experience with them and they said yeah i don't know if i need that i i just I've learned to meditate years ago and I just sit and I do it and I couldn't help but think that this is good for beginners, but I wonder what you would say to maybe other people who they've done meditation and how, how will they get benefit out of a muse? I've had meditation teachers that use muse. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's really for everybody across the board. Um, it's actually come to the point where I've had people who are now meditation people, teachers who learned to meditate first using muse. Um, so I've seen all sides of the spectrum now. So It's great for beginners because it actually shows you what's going on and what a meditate focused attention practice is and how to do it and reinforces you for it. But it's also amazing for people who have an existing practice because as meditators, we, our job is to understand the process of our mind. And so this really gives you another insight. It's like never having mirrors and somebody saying, oh no, I don't need a mirror. (laughs) It's like actually having a mirror is, is really helpful. You don't have to believe what's in the mirror. You don't have to get caught up in it. You don't have to get upset about it. Um, But it's really useful to have tools that give you greater insight from which you can then progress or learn or or gain new insights. I wanted to jump back for a second to what you were saying about letting go of the storm, the allowing and accepting. I wanted to cheer at that moment because that, that is such a huge lesson that you have learned through that. So when life gets difficult, remember I talked about fighting, we have two choices. We can fight and we can spend all of this energy getting caught up in things that we can't change and we can't control, um, or we can simply allow. And when that happens, it tends to just dissipate. 
I mean, think about all of the moments in your life where you have gotten your knickers in a knot over something. And had you actually not gotten reactive, had you just, you know, said that is there and I will let it pass beside me or under me um, and I will make better choices and move gracefully, you know, how much better it would have been. Like this is such a fundamental lesson that you have learned that you don't have to fight with the difficult emotions, with the difficult thoughts, with the difficult things. You can move gracefully through, around, under it, and there are better ways. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that, you know, a, a confession, uh, getting automatically defensive when somebody says something, right? It's it's kind of me doing that and, and, and by not automatically taking something as offensive, especially even if they did mean it that way, because <laughs> um, it starts to disarm, you know, the spiraling of yeah. believing those thoughts in other words. So man, I, I just think that you know, I've gotten so much benefit out of the muse itself and there, there's different versions out there. I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit. And then I've got a link where if people want to try it out, um, they can get, I believe it's $30 off uh, to, to get when they purchase one. I, I got to say it, it's, it opened my eyes to meditation specifically, but also the benefits of meditation um, more specifically as I've been trying it. Oh, that's awesome. So in the different versions, we have Muse 2, which gives you real-time feedback on your brain in addition to real-time feedback on your heart, your breath, and your body. So we've talked all about what we call the mind meditation, but we actually have a range of different meditations for um, different systems. So in the heart meditation, you're listening to the beating of your heart like the beating of a drum, and you're literally being able to hear what's going on inside, and it tunes something called your interoception, which is your ability to sensitively understand your state, um, and those with greater interoception have been demonstrated by research to have less stress. There's a breath sensor that teaches you different breathing exercises. So when you notice that your heart is getting a little racy and you're getting a little stressed, you just, you can bring in a breathing exercise to calm it down. There's a body sensor to help you find stillness. And then we have a massive library of guided content, subscription guided content with hundreds of different meditations for whatever comes up in your life. So, you know, we've talked very specifically about the classic focused attention, you know, sitting down meditation, but we also have meditations for if you've just gotten in a fight with your boyfriend or you're having a difficult conversation at work or you want to fall asleep faster. Um, you know, we say whatever happens in your life, we have a meditation for that to help you get through it very or cool. find inspiration and joy on the other side of it. And then we have a whole other device called Muse S, which helps you sleep. So it is a soft, comfortable hand headband that you can wear while you're falling asleep. And it gives you these beautiful guided um, meditations and visualizations and soundscapes that are actually designed to entrain your body to fall asleep faster. And then it also tracks your sleep through the night with sleep tracking basically like a sleep lab. It's literally like a home sleep lab in your bed. I can say the word literally now because it actually <laughs> is literally. Yes. Um, um, and in addition, it also gives you all of the other guided meditation meditations for your brain, heart, breath, and body. Very cool. I, I, I have been very pleased with the investment that I made in my muse. I have the, the two and uh, I would suggest people check it out. Again, my link is uh, beyondthetodolist.com slash muse. Very easy to remember. And I'll put that in the show notes as well, uh, as well as linking up to everything else uh, where people can, and can uh, find out more about muse and connect with you, Ariel. And uh, this has been a great conversation. I think this is a great 
primer to mindfulness, but specifically meditation. Um, we've gone places here in this conversation that in the past when we've talked about meditation, I don't think we've as clearly or succinctly covered it and or the benefits. So I was really thrilled to talk with you about this. Oh, it is such a joy and such a pleasure. And so great to meet someone who's a muser. You know, when we set this interview up, I had no idea that you used muse. Um, and uh, it was actually really delightful to to get on the line and meet somebody who actually uses it and can talk about it and talk about the experience that they've had in their life from it. That was really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to talk. And uh, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for everything you do. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Arielle Garten. If you're interested in checking out The Muse, make sure to go over to beyondthetodolist.com slash muse. That's M-U-S-E. You get a certain percentage off if you order it through that affiliate link. Not to mention you can jump in and check it out and see what it's like. And if you're a beginner to this world of meditation and mindfulness, I hope that you found something encouraging here to get you started. Or if you have some experience already, I hope that you found support and encouragement as well. If you enjoyed this episode, would you do me the favor of sharing it with somebody else? Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Let somebody else know about this conversation. Let it help them out. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.